Ring in the whores. <laughs> What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You gotta be fucking kidding. That the power of Christ compels you! That the power of Christ compels you! That's when the whores come in. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Wasted Potential Podcast special series, Bring in the Whores. Key it up. Perfect. Okay. Uh, (laughs) This week, our theme, I guess I'll explain again in case this is the first episode you're jumping in on. Ronnie and I are pursuing the dark arts of horror writing by writing our own horror script and submitting it to anyone that will buy it and then using the proceeds to nurse a drug habit. Hi, I'm Ronnie. This is Shane. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Uh, and we're podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are also doing, along with this, a series on where we review horror films. We bre- We present horror films in certain genres that we like some of us don't like um and then we talk about them discuss them say off-color jokes and get in trouble Um, we'll be releasing some glass half fulls and commentary stuff and all that fun stuff too but this is horrors so let's talk about the horrors this week uh we're doing what like supernatural slash spiritual slash hauntings kind of like that haunting yeah where something something spiritual supernatural is involved in a family or a house somewhere so it's kind of tying those all together which is it's impossible to do an entire genre in one hour and only do it on three movies but we'll talk about some other movies we like as well and kind of sprinkle them in there to get like the idea and we'll figure out like the motifs and stuff because as we're trying to write a horror movie figure out the pitfalls to put in there or to avoid. Yeah. Um, if you're wondering, yes, we will be casting Russell Crowe as our main character. Um, <laughs> you just can't wait, can you? <laughs> I love it. Um, so for the movies that we chose, obviously when we sit, say this, you're going to think, oh, The Exorcist, The Shining, uh, you know, other ones. like that. Those are so low-hanging. And everyone has seen them and knows them, so we didn't really choose those. Um, they're honorable mentions for sure. I've seen all the Exorcist movies. You haven't, and those are the the uh, the spectrum of good to terrible is pretty interesting with those, actually. So maybe we <laughs> might do a deep dive, and then um, Dan and I have been talking about for years doing The Shining because you do like the mm-hmm. the book, the TV movie, the classic one, and then you also have the sequel. So. Might bring those in at a different time, but those are obviously like our go-tos of like almost near-perfect haunting ghost movies. Yeah, um, The Exorcist will be brought up again. Yes, as how to do an exorcism movie versus what we watched. Um, <laughs> so this week, I chose the Babadook. <laughs> duck, duck, duck. <laughs> um. And Ronnie, what did you choose? I chose Poltergeist. And then 
just to mix it up, we watched The Pope's Exorcist. Yay. Yay. So we're gonna, a lot to say about that shitter. So we'll talk about <laughs> a movie that we both like, one of us that one of us likes, and a movie that both of us thoroughly Cherish. enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, that means a lot to us. <laughs> that will forever be a part of our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Can't go back now. So we'll talk about the first movie, The Babadook. Where'd you get this? On the shelf. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. Want to give us a brief synopsis of it first for those not initiated, and then maybe we can talk about when we both saw it and then dive into the things we liked. Okay, I'll do my best to explain what the Baba Duke. Really, not what it is, but the movie. Yeah, just like the pull, like the plot. We'll get into themes probably later, but maybe. Yeah, like it's very thematic. But okay, so the Baba Duke is a mom and her son. Uh, seven years ago, lost her husband slash his dad, and she is having a very hard time coping. Um, they live in a house together. She's kind of scraping by. And the son is claiming to see a monster and is basically, he's obsessive about like, you know, protecting his mom from it. He sees it all the time. He's, he is prepping to confront this monster, I guess. And it just, all his conversations, everything he talks with, and it causes him to act out in school, not do well. And the mom is kind of reaching her wits end with dealing with grief slash dealing with a child that's. For lack of a better term, a weirdo. The fucking sociopath, uh, man. That kid's yeah. That kid's off. <laughs> but in the film, it turns out that he's not the crazy one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, kind of fun. But so, it goes on. Uh, he's telling his mom about this monster, and she finds a book in the house called The Babadook, which sounds silly, and it all should be silly, but it's not silly at all. Yeah. Um... <laughs> And then this monster starts to kind of go after her because it can't get the child. Kind of turns into a possession film. They confront the Babadook, and then they learn that you can't get rid of evil. You just learn to feed it and lock it in the basement. Just (laughs) bury it deep, deep down and try to put a smile on every day. (laughs) The Babadook. (laughs) Yeah, I think she's an Aussie, right? It's an Australian or New Zealand. It's some sort of foreign yeah. film. You know what's fun about um about these because it's an it's an, an IFC midnight, which I could go on a deep dive about how important IFC is to my trauma and my life of watching horror <laughs> movies. But I think it's Australian. I think it's produced by like the Australian like arts board. What I love about foreign countries, that, boy, the Babadook. Yeah, they'll, they'll actually like give money to small independent filmmakers to make movies because they're like art. <laughs> they're not just socialists. <laughs> yeah, they're socialists. <laughs> Sounds like some communist bullcrap to me. <laughs> and they make good movies. Well, not always. There's some shitty state-sponsored <laughs> movies. They're, they're out there. They're kind of fun, too. But there's like movies like this. There's small art house films that are supported by state art funds. 
Interesting. I think Britain has kind of a mm-hmm. thing like that too. Canada's through the, Canada's P- big on it. The PBS. Big on it, oh, Canada for sure. Everyone but us, because uh, imagine if we did state-sponsored films. <laughs> Jesus, that would never work. But no. Back to the Babadook. When did you first see it? So I actually hadn't seen it. I had heard it was really, really good, and all these things. And so you kept bringing it up, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna use it as my pick. Because generally, I trust what you tell me is going to be good. Uh, My trust was shattered mm-hmm. this week. But um, <laughs> I saw the Babadook for the first time. And I will say, I have not been legitimately creeped out or scared by a film in a long time. That changed this week. <laughs> and I knew it because as soon as I finished it, I looked over and my closet door was open. And I got up and closed it. <laughs> I was like, nope. <laughs> and I, if you would have told me that the shadow of a top hat with a trench coat with kind of long slender man fingers would scare me, I would be like, oh, you're too simple. <laughs> um, but this movie is very good at getting the most with nothing. And it's it's hard to explain how good the director is at getting every ounce out of very little. Yeah, um, I was because I didn't rewatch it for this time. I didn't have time to, but I've seen it like four times. It's one of those movies that I recommend to people all the time and say it's it's good enough for like a casual horror person to enjoy, but also more pretentious people can actually enjoy the deeper things. So it actually it's very heady. It is, but it also works as just a plain old horror movie as well. Because I, so I was watching the trailer, and I was like, oh, this is like a little bit misleading. Like, you would think this is some generic, you know, trash horror thing. Oh, it looks really cheap because there's only two people in a house. It looks small, but the filmmaking is so effective and well-crafted that it elevates, like you said, the simplicity of the silly. It's a silly story that's elevated by the shadows, the camera angles, and using the darkness mm-hmm. like incredibly well because you don't see the Babadook until you need to, and it's enough of an outline or like a silhouette to just be haunting enough because that's what's effective right in horror. It's the unknown. Right. Seeing a silhouette of a top hat and long arms is more terrifying <laughs> than seeing the full caricature out. Yeah. Um, it's like if Jeepers Creepers didn't show the monster, just the silhouette of the monster. Yeah, that's, that's a creature feature that I loved as a kid that I uses the monster too much, but it's a really creepy design of a, of a creature, and it's a very similar where it's like the long arms kind of reaching out. It reminds mm-hmm. me of Alien, where the, the alien's arms going, ah, give me a hug. You know, like that, that jump scared. Like, a lot yeah. of the arms <laughs> where it's just there. a man in a plastic suit going, Marr! And that's why you see like 90 <laughs> seconds of an alien yep. in that two-hour movie. <laughs> yep. Um but yeah, I was so impressed by the horror because, man, you get those tingles down your spine where you're like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not comfortable. Um, but it's not gory. It doesn't have like shock value. It cuts away when there would be gore. And the scary thing is that the monster, at least to me, could or could not be real. It could just be her she is the monster mm. you know what i mean yeah well that, that, that ties into like the themes and like the, the symbolism but yeah continue very very thematic and thank god because i 
every horror movie nowadays falls into this trope where I was waiting for her to go to like the University of Paranormal Ottawa or something. <laughs> and and there would be some guys be like, oh, see, what you have here is you have a classic case of a Babadook haunting. Um, as you can see in this old book I have on my desk, reading back to the 1800s, evil will find its way. The Babadook Duke. It was an old myth told by Russian Babanagas. <laughs> the Baba Yaga myth. The only way to do it is you must confront it and drink an elixir of pig blood and be pure of heart. Mm-hmm. Like it they they always have the like the university specialist that tells you and does all these things and then they go and conquer the monster. But she really I guess you know it classically love wins mm-hmm. type thing. Yeah. But it, but it doesn't really win. The monster's still there. Spoiler alert. Like it's always there. Well, which we can talk about the themes, well, I guess, coming in. Yeah. We keep saying we're gonna talk about the themes, let's but do let's, it do it. let's do it. Jump in. So this movie deals with loss and dealing with grief and how if you don't address the grief and you don't acknowledge it and deal with it, it can manifest itself in awful ways is kind of how I took it. Mm -hmm. So the son is not dealing with, I really, I think the son is the most in the end, it's revealed that he's not the crazy one. He's Mm -hmm. actually dealing with it the best. He's the one dealing in reality here. Yeah. He's, he's like, cause like, it kind of pulls the like the hood over your eyes. Like he's he's obviously doing violent things and he's awful and screaming, but it's a it's because of her though. Like mm-hmm. the, she's the reason for all. Yeah, this. it's because she's not dealing with it and she's like detached from it and emotionally he's picking up on those things and because he doesn't deal with grief and love she properly, she doesn't do it properly and it just spills. Like the grief, it's the grief depression mm-hmm. spills over into your loved ones because because I, I'm pretty sure it doesn't. I don't think he ever meets his dad, right? No, she she had him that night. He never met his dad. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the whole point. Is like it's it's he doesn't know what the loss is. She does, and it's kind of pouring into his life and we're manifesting in that way. And then from there, that manifests into this this creepy demon or spirit or whatever it is. We don't need to know because it doesn't matter what the classification right. the spiritual thing is. It's just her grief is this thing that's pulling everyone into this darkness. As Russell Crowe would say, trauma is a vessel for the demon to find its way. <laughs> Children are susceptible to this. Yeah. And then that's my favorite part of the like the, the horror is good, but my favorite part is that ending, which spoilers jump ahead. There's something in the time code we'll tell you to jump ahead to, but like you have to feed that depression. You have to deal with it uh-huh. every day. She has to go into that locked room and feed the Babadook and realize like this is my reality. I can't just lock it away and not talk about it it's still there i'm gonna live with that so you have to live with your 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 trauma right and eventually it starts to lose its power because Mm -hmm. you acknowledge its existence yeah but i like about it though is like she's not she doesn't go in there smiling she's still afraid of it she's still terrified Mm -hmm. of it but she's less than she was because she understands what it is now so it's it's a perfect analogy for dealing with like loss and you know, trauma and stuff. So that, that's, I've, I can't say enough good things about this film. It's a, I love the Babadook. Yeah, it's really good. And like, 
going back to the son, you you think he's kind of a weirdo, he's crazy, um, but he's the only one actually dealing with this in the way he can as a child, right? He's building contraptions, which this movie does really well with setup. He's building all these contraptions and like weapons so that when the Babadook, he knows the confrontation's coming, he just doesn't mm-hmm. know when, so he's prepping. He's kind of Sarah Connor in this sense. Very T2-esque. Children look like burnt paper, black, not moving. And then the blast wave hits them. They fly apart like leaves. It's not a dream anymore, it's real. I know the date it happens. I'm sure it feels very real to you. On August 29th, 1997, it's gonna feel pretty fucking real to you too. Anybody not wearing two million sunblock is gonna have a real bad day, get it? You think you're safe and alive? You're already dead, everybody. If you, you're dead already. This whole place, everything you see is gone. You're the one living in a fucking dream, some of it, because I knew it happened. It happened! mom and i I don't remember her name but she she's kind of already crazy like she won't she all the memories of the father are locked in this basement and that's where the babadook comes from Mm -hmm. basically it lives in the basement which is the memory of the dad but all the pictures and everything and she won't even let her son see pictures she won't Mm -hmm. she won't address it at all and he's like you know wants to know who his dad was and stuff like that and everyone's telling her like you're you need to handle this, and she's basically lashing out at everyone because the sisters kind of made in this. If I was going to give a critique to this movie, and it's the slightest critique, it's I don't take it too much to heart. But the sisters painted as kind of a villain, right? Like mm-hmm. she's snooty and high and mighty. But I would argue, and maybe the movie meant to do this, and I'm just kind of missing it that. How are you supposed to talk to this woman? She's she doesn't let anyone in. She actively fights everyone. Her son is acting like a crazy person, you know? Mm-hmm. Like how do you relate to her? How do you help her if she doesn't want to be helped? So the sister's pain is kind of a bad guy and I, you know, and it's just a a way to isolate the mom. Mm-hmm. But that that's kind of my critique. It's just this kind of the movie is so good and heady and doesn't paint with broad strokes, except when it comes to the sister and her friends. Then it's like, oh, they're all vapid gold diggers, you know, like kind of mm-hmm. meh. Yeah. But well, that's but also you have to isolate her. You isolate her, but it's, it's also too like. Like she chooses to isolate herself as well. So, so like I think it also goes with the whole ruse of like. Maybe that's how she views her kid as violent and terrifying, but he's like you said, he's preparing for the Babadook and he doesn't know how to deal with it. She views her sister Mm -hmm. as vapid and closed off and not caring because she's pushing her away. So maybe that's just her 
I know you hate this phrase, the unreliable narrator, as that's how she's oh, viewing the world fair. in a way. I'll allow that. Yeah, and it's a minor critique because, like, I I didn't know if you're supposed to feel like in that kitchen scene where the friends are like, you know, trying to be nice to her, mm-hmm. you know, and they say something that's it's not sensitive, but it's not so overtly insensitive mm-hmm. to her, and she just like freaks out. Yeah, on the friend. I looked at her as the bad guy. I'm like, you're an asshole. Like, that person wasn't being mean to you. They may have not been completely sensitive because they didn't know they were being insensitive. But you acting like that doesn't help anybody. Yeah, I think it ties into the all idea of, like, people don't know how to deal with people who have trauma. Like, like everyone tries yeah. to be kind, but then at some point they're like, well, you got to get over it because life moves on. But it's like, well, you're not the one going through it. So it's like that kind of confusion of how do you deal with those things? And this may be extracting my own things out of it, which, fuck it, that's what a movie's for. That's what art but, is. Um, it kind of does this dance where, yes, people need to be sensitive to your trauma, but you are responsible for how you deal with your trauma. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, So people need to understand her situation, but she needs to conquer the Babadook, and she is responsible for what she does under the influence of the Babadook. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree. So I, I like I it's so smartly written and the more we discuss it, the more I realize how brilliantly it is constructed. And I think it's the writer may not even have meant to be as brilliant as as it is. They just they keep it so simple and so concise mm-hmm. that it allows audiences to take what they need out of it. Well, she's a writer director, and this is kind of how all of her her films kind of. I'm a fan. She only has a couple things. She obviously I always talk about it. The Nightingale, which is the most horrifying movie, movie <laughs> some horror film, and then uh, the Cabinet of Curiosities. She did the the Bird one. I can't remember what it's called right now. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah so I can see that then. Yeah, well, it, that's sort of her horror is horror. Her is more emotionally kind of grounded and stuff. But, Charged. But, but yeah, yeah. But, but it's 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 a lot of like simple story ideas that are elevated by the the characters dealing with something and that kind of drives them towards their goal. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's a lot, I guess we could discuss about the Babadook, but I, I think we've kind of covered it. Is there anything else you want to say? Like, I just say it's an incredible horror movie. It's not too long. I think it's an hour and a half, <laughs> which I will always praise people for keeping a movie to an hour and a half. Now I'm so sick of two and a half hour movies. Like, God damn, it's concise, it's quick, it gets its themes across, it uses the horror perfectly, and uh, it's thrilling, it's 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 everything. It's a very well-made movie. I was very happy to have seen it. Yeah, I like, it's got enough jump scares to keep normal people kind of into it, but there's mm-hmm. also a lot of great just, like, not jumpy, but just you just sit there and linger on those shadows, and it's enough to be like, that's enough to make me creeped out. Um, yeah. Any other movies on your list that kind of fall under this kind of category of horror, like um, you know, some kind of entities in the house, maybe like a spirit or ghost um, type of thing? There's a movie I remember with Eric Bana, and oh. I don't want to say this is a good movie. It's not good. Deliver me, but from I remember. I re- yeah, I remember it being scary. That's the one. Where he's um, a but cop, I was right? younger. He's a cop, right? Yep. Yeah, and, and like an Iraq veteran brings back a 
demon or something. Yes, and, and, and it's like in a zoo, and then and, and he's some kind of Brooklyn cop, and he's trying to solve it. I never saw it, but I remember. He's that. like, "Hey, ghost, get out of here!" <laughs> it's based on a quote-unquote true story. True story. Yeah. That's what I hate about the two thousands and onward. Everything's based on a true story, and it's like uh-huh. insulting. Which well, I'll tie in later to another movie. Um, I remember. I'm trying to think of like good horror. Like The Exorcist always comes to my mind. Like it, nothing. That's the only other movie other than this that I would say scared me. And Exorcist isn't scary; it's unsettling. Well, I think this movie does what The Exorcist does too. It's isolating because The Exorcist, mm-hmm. you connect to the mother because the mother has literally tried everything she can do to fix this, and they and after all the science has failed her, which ties into our other movie later. It, like hmm. after all science fails, she turns to the most superstitious thing possible because everything else. And that's so isolating. Of like, I can't help my daughter. So it's that's why I love their yeah. sister. I can talk. We should have talked about that. I guess instead of the movie I picked, since you hate it so much, I hated it. But um, the Exorcist always. Fo- the only problem I have with the Exorcist, and it's just kind of something I don't know as a writer how you get around it, is when you know they take in an obviously possessed child that's like green eyes and vomiting neon is like and they're like mm, classic seizure hey, <laughs> like <laughs> i come I, on, fu- man. I fully respect it first of all the people in exorcist aren't be- like that's why i like it though it's a rational science minded movie where science fails that's why i like that movie it's so effective to me at least it's like we tried <laughs> everything and all these experts are sitting around a panel going Fuck me. I don't know what's wrong with this bitch. Oh. <laughs> if I was a doctor, the first thing I would say is someone came in like, hey, what the fuck me, Jesus? I'd be like, you should seek a priest. <laughs> and that's why you're not a doctor. I'm only an amateur doctor. Only I play amateur. one on TV. You only have a stethoscope and you conduct physicals out of your van. Um, I, I do a lot of mammograms. A movie that and I just saw. I just said her name. A movie that my wife and I just saw in theaters, <laughs> actually. <laughs> That's why I retake the take. Um, a movie that we just uh, saw was The Boogeyman. It's a Stephen King short story. And it's a movie. And I thought it was going to be trash. And it's actually pretty good. And it's very similar to The Babadook where it's like creepy creature in the shadows dealing with trauma. The, the rules of The Boogeyman aren't very clear. But what they didn't skimp on was the actors. They picked like good amateur actors like the the girls from a tv show called yellow jackets and she's really good the main teenager the little girl's fine the dad's someone i recognize him but it's it's all about the just like the darkness and what's lying in the dark there they open up with a, a horrifying first couple scenes to let you know like it's a serious thing going on so check out the boogeyman's in theaters like i thought it was going to be trash and it's pretty good it's it's much better than it has a right to be for a boogeyman (laughs) movie (laughs) stephen king is very hit or miss especially interpretations of stephen king hey like people take these good ideas and make them better the uh the design of the boogeyman is like generic but at the very end it like unlocks its jaw and shows its real form i'm like oh that's super effective so it's it's interesting. Like, like it is much better than it has any goddamn right to be. Um, another haunting movie from recent years is The Hereditary. Hereditary is pretty fucking phenomenal. That's a a family like haunting one that kind of takes you in different terms. You might not like it. It's pretty melodramatic. Like, 
it's 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 like the exorcist being like a drama with horror in it but this one's a little more melodramatic because it involves children dying so then like the parents are obviously much more emotionally distraught about it but that's a phenomenal like haunting movie as well um i have some more but they, they tie into the other movies so i'll jump into the other ones later for recommendations all right so ronnie what film did you choose <laughs> okay i picked 1982's film poltergeist the house looks just like the one next to it and the one next to that and the one next to that a young couple live in it give ken a kiss with their three children (laughs) and something more my synopsis the most average american family ever to america bought a haunted tv and ignore their clairvoyant dog so their daughter gets kidnapped by patriotic (laughs) ghosts the parents are dumb so don't believe in closing curtains or blinds or using condoms since they have three fucking kids and don't tell their daughter to not talk to strangers the stoned out hippies assume it's not evil, so they fuck with it and regret it pretty goddamn quick. <laughs> they go to Peter Venkman's college to get paranormal quote unquote experts to help who are way in over their head. They finally get a tiny southern Zach Baggins to tie a rope around themselves and jump headfirst into the KY Jelly Twilight Zone to save the ch- child of the corn. All things are good until the final, final act in which we learn that corporate monsters are too cheap to move the dead bodies out of the cemetery, (laughs) and the haunting continues until the Freelings say, fuck this noise, and leave and close their goddamn curtains. And you say, TVs are bad for you. The movie is sponsored by Lucasfilm. You moved the tombstones, but you didn't move the bodies, did you? (laughs) Uh. Okay. I love Poltergeist. It's a classic. I own it, and I watch it pretty frequently. Uh, In October, Shane, tell me, this is your first viewing of Poltergeist. Bitch about it while I sip my beer and just shake my head. My wife and I ended the movie and went, that sucked. (laughs) Um, I'm going to have an unpopular opinion. I can already just feel it, and I, I don't care. I'll first start off with, Poltergeist is not a bad movie. It's not like I watched and I was like, that was, that was, you know, an assault on the senses. Like it was, it's, it's an okay movie. It's serviceable to me. I had never seen it until tonight. So I had the, the expectation of like something that was going to change my life. Cause obviously I've seen like the shot from outside the house I've seen the, you know, the, you mo- you left the bodies, did it, Joe? Like, <laughs> um, the, they're here. There's all the, the cult of Poltergeist that I know of, but I hadn't seen the movie. And maybe that's why I didn't enjoy it as much. I was underwhelmed. And maybe I will give you this if I could see it from the lens of 1982. You know, like if I was someone in 1982 
how it would affect me because I have such a genre now. But then I remember that Alien was made in 79, so this movie could suck my balls. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll start with some just overall complaints. The score makes no sense. It's like, like, and you're like, I thought this was supposed to be terrifying. Okay. And, so let me, and it isn't contrary to that. So I like the score because it starts out with like nursery rhymes and it's cutesy to kind of help you feel, feel like the innocence and it's unassuming and eventually gets more ethereal. But okay, I could see as a complaint if you think it's too circus clown. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't build the horror that I feel like it should feel. I won't complain about the visuals because it's a 1982. They took a big swing and a thing uh, that would be just stupid to bitch about it. I think they did a good job with what they had for the Oscar you know? nominated as uh, visual effects. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Bitch yeah, about the 40 year old Oscar. Star Wars was in 70. No, and I'm that looks like shit too. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to bitch about the visuals. Like that's, that's dumb to even say like it's good for its time. And what they tried to do. And I like the room and the portal thing. I I, I dig all that. The more Stranger Things stuff. is the most unoriginal thing I've ever seen in my life now, though. Thank you. Um. Wow. No, just not even an homage. Just shameless ripping. Yeah. I'm. That's why I'm going to get into why. Okay. Poltergeist is not the exorcist. It's not the Babadook. It's not the Shining. It's a good haunting movie, so you went in with the wrong expectation. It's a Steven Spielberg I guess so. produced thing, so it's smaltzing. It's basically like a sitcom. Very. It's, it's, it's like a sitcom. It's goofy and silly, but I think the filmmaking is effective, but it's definitely not the Babadook. So I get why you're not into it. I, I think it stands test of time and think it's phenomenal. I'll get to the motifs, but continue your bitching about this 40-year-old movie. I'll give, you, I'll give you that I may have gone in with the wrong expectations. I, I went in expecting to be scared, creeped out, things like that. And maybe that's just not what it was intended to do. Um, next, the I don't think the acting's bad. I think the directing of the acting is bad. So the actors in this have moments where they're really good, but they don't act appropriately for the situation that they're in. I'm okay with the wife being kind of like, oh my God, the chair moves across the room. And then the dad's like, no, this is fucked. Um, I like all that. But when the daughter goes missing, she gets sucked into the portal. They are not, the dad is. I never have an issue with how the dad is acting pretty much. But the mom is not acting like someone who just lost their daughter to the after. You know what I mean? It's, everyone's too okay with this all. Everyone's too jokey and and I I don't blame the actors. I think the director wasn't giving the proper input and and correcting these things. Cause it's almost like a house of jokes, which would be funny if the whole family was there. I think if you took this approach and the daughter hadn't been sucked into the afterlife, then it's kind of funnier, like, yep, welcome to our haunted house, we can't escape. And then the paranormal people are like, What the fuck? Like <laughs> That makes more sense to me, but with the daughter being sucked in with those kind of stakes, this is where I do give credit to Stranger Things in that you would be distraught. You would be a mess. You'd be freaking out. You'd be doing whatever you could, and you would be inconsolable and borderline psychotic. 
That makes more sense to me. They're all too okay. The only person that is perfect is the daughter. She is like, what the fuck is going on? I'm freaking out. This is fucked. Would your family welcome a serious investigation of these disturbances by someone who can make first-hand observations? Dr. Lewis, we don't care about the disturbances, the pounding, the flash, the screaming, the music. We just want you to find our little girl. You were saying about poltergeist? Poltergeist are usually associated with an individual. Hauntings seem to be connected with an area, a house, usually. Poltergeist disturbances are a fairly short duration, perhaps a couple of months. Hauntings can go on for years. Are you telling me that all of this could just suddenly end at any time? Yes, it could, unless it's a haunting. But hauntings don't usually revolve around living people. Then we don't have much time, Dr. Lush, because my daughter is alive somewhere inside this house. <sighs> this is probably going to seem a little strange. Ah! Fuck this. It's so weird. And and it goes in and out of like, this is disaster, this is awful, I'm freaking out, to quirky and funny. And, and, and the tonally, it was just off-putting for me. I think the mom should have been sadder, freaking out more. The dad, I think, is perfect. The daughter, I think, is perfect. And I do like the paranormal people. I do like that they come in like, oh, whatever. And then they're like, Oh shit. What the fuck is this? Like I'm okay with that, but if they were going to do the direction that the movie did, I think the daughter shouldn't be missing. I think the daughter shouldn't be sucked into the portal. Once she is, you need to raise the emotional freak out more. I think they do. So I totally disagree. So I I get like the mom is the more hippy dippy kind of one, but like she also has cuz so I think what ties into this is when the uh, the medium and the paranormal expert, she says, I'm a psychologist. I don't know what the fuck's going on. I'm in over my head. I, re- <laughs> I really respect the idea, the fact that these people don't know what they're doing. But she says, like, the spirits aren't inherently evil. The problem isn't the spirits. The problem are the people. So, like, that moment when, like, she comes down the, the stairs and she feels Caroline. Like, there's that mm-hmm. idea of, oh, this isn't necessarily evil. And then they all come down the stairs. They're not evil. The so like I I get that the wife, I like the dad's performance. Craig T. Nelson's perfectly just like he does I, really good. He's emasculated. I can't do anything. I like the wife is different because she's trying to see a positive in this. And I think she screams enough, freaks out enough. But your point of like, well, they're not emotionally always upset. I'm like, well, they have to live a life still. They people come in and out. There's jokey. So I think it works well. But it's it, it's not the traditional kind of like. The mom is screaming and locked in the room and can't move. I think she's more open to finding a thing. The dad seems just like, I don't know what to do. I'm literally giving up on this. So I, I think they're dealing with it a little differently. He's more like emotionally di- like distracted because he's gone half the time working, doing this. And this is his half the fault why the houses are built. So he's mm-hmm. like not connected. So he feels out of it. And the wife is probably feels more to blame. But she's trying to find that solution to fix it. And I also like that 
they're kind of going by the seat of their pants. You tie a fucking rope and throw tennis balls. Like it's it's not like <laughs> like you said like they're experts. It's not like you have to do this secret an- incantation. The dad's even doesn't even believe the median. She's like he's like making fun of her because she's silly, but then she proves herself to be knowledgeable. And even in the end, she's like telling the spirits you can go to the light now he's like what are you doing what the fuck are you doing don't tell him to do that and he starts panicking like they're all just trying to make it out of this and there's no expert kind of thing so i think it works i could i could see why like if i could see why it might be cheesy and a little goofy and a little uneven but i think it's almost like a horror comedy kind of in a way there's a lot of like sitcom kind of shit but that's the whole spielberg part of it he wrote this produced it According to IMDb, he mostly directed it. Toby Hooper was kind of pushed out of the way. He did Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> and a bunch of other lower kind of budget stuff. But it seems like he and Spielberg kind of clashed on who had full control. And ironically, Spielberg is directing E.T. at the time. So, like, he's literally doing two movies at once. So, it, it's not I really... think Spielberg should have kept his hands out of this one. Because I can feel Spielberg in it. Mm-hmm. And I like Spielberg a lot. But him in horror doesn't mix for me it i think it works in that like you get a wider range of people liking this movie i think that's why it's so popular if it was toby hooper and it was less melodramatic and less cutesy it'd be more of a cult kind of classic so spielberg getting his dirty dirty hands on it (laughs) makes it dirty corporate fingers all over it (laughs) but also you, you get a bigger budget you get spielberg involved you have like you, you Kathleen like, Kennedy. I could talk about yeah, yeah. You have um, Frank Marshall, same people, but I can get into like the haunting behind all of it too. But like, it would be a different movie because Toby Hooper apparently was doing the, the first cuts of it, and then Spielberg had final cut of it and stuff like that. So there's a whole thing going on. So it's it works for me, but I I see your perspective. And I can see why this for being seeing it 40 years later for the first time, and maybe the the hype, and also the cultural phenomena like South Park, scary movie, all it's. It's so oh, spoofed you can to a point see where it's, everywhere. It's, it's a joke. It's 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 ridiculous, but it works for me. So I can see why I wouldn't for you. Yeah. Like um Stranger Things first season, I really liked. I, I still really like it. But now seeing this, it's almost off putting. Where I'm like, Jesus guys, you didn't you're not even paying homage. You literally stole all of it. There's not an original thought in Stranger Things. They literally took the top five most famous 80s things and just put it on there. And maybe the writers would be like, oh, that's what we meant to do. But it seems dirty now. Oh, where have <laughs> you been for the past 10 years with this cultural phenomenon the things that I gave up on years ago? Um, so speaking of motifs, like this is what Poltergeist either took or made popular. Like this is 82, man. This is three years after alien this is like the beginning of slasher films and then you have these you have these old like 60s haunting house where it's like oh creepy gothic Mm -hmm. house this one is the most terrifying place in the world suburban america and it's showing like all these simple easy things now become terrifying the static tv which is hilarious to me nowadays because you have modern movies with like hd tvs that have static i'm like that's not how static like it's not how that works the static is from the the cable connections not the tv itself um cute but creepy girl talking to voices you have a haunted house visited by you know the experts come in there uh horror movie posters you did you see alien in the background i saw a lot of references mm-hmm. in the background that, that started the whole thing that's what um 
uh, Ridley Scott did that with uh, does it with uh, his horror movies. Um, Toby Hooper, Spielberg, and um, Wes Craven. They all put horror movies in their poster, and they all kind of shout out older movies like that. It's a whole thing that's done in the eighties. Um, sleepwalking, you got that tied in there. The kitchenware and, and chairs moving between the cuts, which is a cool, cool little edit there. I like that a lot. But that's a, a staple now in horror movies when things are moving. Yeah. Uh, the ridiculous medium, like a char- like a goofy character in this case, a, a dwarf southern, <laughs> southern bell with an accent. It's uh, I was like, what? What? I wish I wasn't high because when the tree <laughs> when, when the tree reached in and took the kid, I started just uncontrollably laughing. And the mm. tree's eating him. I was like, no, the ends have turned. <laughs> <laughs> um. I like that they leave the haunted house, but they don't leave it. Like, they're like, oh, I'll be back later. It's like, what the fuck is the dad doing? Is the dad cheating on the wife? Because, like, where is he at that he's not getting his family out there immediately? Uh, right. Portals into new dimensions. You mentioned that one. Climbing up the walls. Obviously, the exorcist, but this one. This one's really, like, this one. That this one's really off-putting when she's, like, like half-naked doing it. It's like, oh, this is kind of really. It's almost like out of the wrong movie kind of thing. It's like it's very kind of, like, uh, exploitative. Um, the endless hallway run classic as well. And then finally the keys in the car don't work. So this movie has the motifs. It's got like all the horror things. I wish the pool guys would have died. <laughs> like they are disgusting. Not, like it's supposed to, they hit on a middle schooler. Oh, she's, like... older than, she's older than that. Cause she talks about fucking, she talks about being in the motel and getting high and, Oh, uh, yeah, but still, man, construction workers, oh, yeah. it's so off-putting from modern mm-hmm. lens. Well, it's 80 Maybe sleeves. in 82 it was funnier. Yeah. It's 80 And sleeves. then he's, like, drinking their coffee and eating their yeah. chili, and I was like, fuck you, you perv. But that's, <laughs> that's why I like that. I don't like that stuff morally. I like the stuff in the movie because it's the unassuming. It's, like, this perfect suburban house, these perfect little model homes. Nothing bad happens there because there's nothing spooky there. But underneath the literal, like, rotten rottenness of the house is something terrifying that's like get the fuck out of here um <laughs> the um, um like uh shane off the top of your head how many people die in this movie let me think no one mm-hmm. no, no one dies body. it's a it's like other a, than the ones that were already deceased yeah then the bird tweety dies um, but, oh, um, yeah, but, but really like, killed. it's almost like a family. I am, I still is super young. I, I, the, the scene that still is in my brain is when he's pulling, it looks goofy now. He's pulling the uh, chunks of skin off his face and they, oh, yeah. like that stuck with me my entire life. All the, the creepy spirits, like the, the ghostbusters type spirits flying around this and that, which I was the score listening to this time. I was like, I was like, I think I'll like. Elmer Bernstein stole the score for Ghostbusters because this is two years before Ghostbusters. <laughs> it's very much the ethereal and kind of goofiness. Because I thought very Jerry, Ghostbusters-esque. I thought Jerry Goldsmith did Ghostbusters. I was like, like is this the same producer or composer? So I looked up and I'm like, nope, someone just stole it. Um, fuck that clown. Clowns are awful and evil. Oh, yeah. Um, I like that they're embarrassed. The mom's like embarrassed of the situation and no one knows anything. I think that's great. Like they're just like clueless. They say that we don't go to the cops because like they're like they're gonna think we're crazy. So like so like they're 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 just absolutely clueless. Right. Even like the paranormal experts are pretty clueless. Um like the ghosts wanna be famous. They turn the camera on themselves and say, We wanna be popular. Come on, put us on this Discovery Channel, please. Um 
this line's perfect. <laughs> like when the uh, the the scuzzy uh, developer is talking to Craig T. Nelson, and he says, "Oh, it's not some Native American burial ground. These are just people." <laughs> Implying Native Americans are not people. Love that. Um, yeah. Oh, I no. thought it was a pet cemetery reference. <laughs> Maybe I just thought it was funny. It's like it's like, oh no, these are these are just people. These are real people. These are people. <laughs> And not natives. I like the idea. I mentioned <laughs> that ghosts are organic and spiritual. They're not necessarily evil. And then the, the, the uh, shoot, uh, the Zelda. I don't know what her name, fucking name is. These the medium says they're not evil. They're but this one's fucking mad. It's raging back there, and it's like it's not the spirit. They're not yeah. evil, but this one's totally this, this evil. Yes. <laughs> um, last thing is, last thing is crack me up was uh, the scene where the psychologist is talking to the mom and the kid sitting there and they're kind of like laughing and talking about, you know, the spiritualism and then like the, the Steven Spielberg score flares up. I know, makes you want to throw up, but she's describing the ghosts and say, oh, they're passengers who just kind of sit around and don't know what to do to their life. But, oh, that's you and I. We sit around and just talk <laughs> about shit and are angry about movies. I'm like, oh, that's us. It's a potential podcast. We are the ghosts. I forgot to mention we're dead. <laughs> um, but yeah. And Ronnie's pissed. <laughs> I'm raging that <laughs> you hate this movie. There is no death. It is only a transition to a different sphere of consciousness. Carol Ann is not like those she's with. She is a living presence in their spiritual earthbound plane. They're attracted to the one thing about her that's different from themselves. That guy has no ass. And I have a policy of not trusting a man with no ass. <laughs> I, I have no ass. Yeah, and I don't trust him as far as you could throw him. <laughs> it is a light that implies life and memory of love and home and earthly pleasures. That was some riveting commentary with like some really insightful stuff. Do you think her tits are big enough for this role? <laughs> That's a big bitch. <laughs> Something they desperately desire, but can't have anymore. Right now, she's the closest thing to that. Oh, and he played football at Notre Dame because he's an all-American man. And he uh, loves children. And, and she never really loves children. There's one more thing. A terrible presence is in there with her. Okay, so right now the only... Oh, two black people. Never mind. I take it back. Three black people. Oh, my... Four! Oh, oh my, my God. God. This is this, this is 90s diverse. This film is Five. so representative. So much rage. So much betrayal. I've never sensed anything like it. Who would you put you throw yourself in front of a missile before... Except your wife. Besides your wife, who'd you throw yourself a missile for? Glenn Close. You didn't say anything. I'm very upset. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very hurt. In front of a missile? Yeah, for me. Like, Glenn Close. <laughs> She's not in enough movies. We haven't seen enough of her. I've been editing this podcast for two goddamn years. I am upset. He keeps Caroline very close to it. And away from the spectral light, it lies to her. I thought he was going to kiss that kid on the lips. It says things only a child can understand. Do you think she has nice tits? I, I think she has nice tits. Them. 
has been using her to restrain the others. To her, it simply is another child. To us, it is the beast. Muslim away. Oh, missile. Oh, that's a Muslim. <laughs> I like it. I can see why you don't. So uh, it doesn't make me mad. It's not like a movie that I hold as a classic. I think it's a classic in the way of its motifs and how it's executed and done in a way. But the story is super simple. Yeah. I I kind of view this like how I do Blade Runner, where a lot of people think that the first Blade Runner is like the greatest move, sci-fi movie and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm not into it. And I, I think I'm... I'm that way with Poltergeist. I'm not going to say it's a bad movie. I'm not going to say that like, oh, shit and stuff. I just, I disagree with some choices. And I I just, it didn't hit me the way that all all these people tell me it should. And yeah, like if you ask for a recommendation for Poltergeist for me, I'm just going to be like, eh, I mean, if it's free, yeah, watch it. (laughs) Whatever. Um, Like, but I'm not going to be like, this is the movie. Like, I will tell everyone to watch The Babadook. mm -hmm. I agree. I'll tell people just watch the YouTube hits of a uh, Poltergeist, also known as Airbud Four: The Exorcism. <laughs> I think the um, <laughs> the Poltergeist is a good like good horror month kind of one, but I don't like. I'd say like I agree with you. I'd, I'd recommend the Babadook way more than I would Poltergeist. But Poltergeist is like a staple, and I think it's there for a reason. But I don't. I don't think you're gonna watch it now and be changed because I think it's 40 years old and it's dated in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. But um. I'm, I was thinking about other like kind of ghost stories as well. I was thinking like Sixth Sense. That's one. That's a that one that mm-hmm. I think that one holds. I almost chose that one. Yeah, that's it's a great one. I think it holds up too because like it has a twist, but the movie works without the twist. The twist is just an extra little cherry on top, which is what I think we discussed this when we did Signs and Lady in the Water. I think M.I. Shimon yeah. has forgotten that. The movie can't be a twist. The <laughs> twist is extra. It adds to it. It's a good like mystery horror i think another good mystery horror that goes along with that is he's like a magician that keeps doing the same trick you're like do something else (laughs) he's like no but where did the quarter go you're like it's behind your ear you fuck (laughs) residency in vegas is getting stale um (laughs) uh, there's one that i wanted to do for this one but i'm gonna save it for another one kind of horror mysteries the black coat's daughter that's a great one that will spoil at some point check that one out I was thinking of a ghost story that's not a horror. It's one called The Ghost Story, which I'm going to make you watch because you'll hate me. I think it's only 90 minutes. We should have watched Ghost. We can watch Ghost. Yeah, there you go. Uh, But Ghost Story (laughs) is a 90-minute movie, and it's like a a cerebral art house film where a girl eats a pie for 10 minutes and then throws it up, and it will make you miserable. (laughs) But it's literally a ghost story, but it's not a horror. It has all the ghost tropes in it, but it's not a horror. It's just like this ghost is sitting around in this house for a hundred years watching the world develop around him and he can't do anything. (laughs) It's just like, and it's, he's watching all these people (laughs) come into his house and ruin it. And he's watching all these, it's, it's like a romantic cerebral art house thing about ghosts. I'm like, this is the most unique movie I've ever seen, but it's not for everyone. Sounds fun. It's it's really great, but you have to be in a mood for it because nothing happens in the entire film. Um, when I was a kid, Danny wasn't invited on this because he tried to make Casper his choice. <laughs> he would have told him to fuck off. I swear off. to God, he probably would have. Um, 
The Exorcism of Emily Rose was the one I liked as a teenager. I have not rewatched. It's like a, a like a half courtroom drama, half exorcism movie. So mm-hmm. I like that kind of genre blend. Yeah. Um, last one is uh, Mike Flanagan's a great director. He has all these, uh, what do you call them? Um, series on Netflix, uh, The Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Blind Manor. My favorite one's Black Mass, oh, okay. and then he has The Midnight Club, and they're all like these genre-bending horrors, and they're subtle, and they're like half of them are haunted house movies. Black Mass is like a is basically his focal point about religion and its effect on people, and The Midnight Club is like a, a throwback, Stranger Things kind of more like kids dealing with death and then they tell each other stories so those are all phenomenal so check those things out if you like horror that's atmospheric that kind of blends into this nice should we go on to our next let's film the one that we've, not constantine let's go to the one i wrote down um not van helsing it gave me some van helsing vibes cool. hardcore check out our podcast on van helsing um but yeah go ahead shane bring in the pope's exorcist Father Gabriele Amorth. On the night of June 4th, you performed an exorcism. That was not an exorcism. Ninety-eight percent I recommended by him to doctors and psychiatrists. The other two percent. I call it evil. We have more questions for you, Father Mort. You have a problem with me. You talk to my boss. The Pope. In a world where people remember Russell Crowe from Gladiator, (laughs) Russell Crowe agrees to do a film because he'll be in an all-black robe so you can't see anything but his fat fucking fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Russell Crowe, after spending three weeks on the Babbel app learning Italian, (laughs) decides that he's going to make an exorcist movie where he, Father Amorth, 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 depends on who's speaking, (laughs) Van Helsing goes (laughs) and he is Mr. Badass, I don't give a fuck, you can't handle the truth. I do what I need to do, exorcist. Who? But he answers to one god, the Pope. Who rides And a? he is fighting a modernizing Catholic church <laughs> who wants to get rid of the old ways, but they don't understand that evil's real. It's not just something fake. Um, he gets tasked by the Pope himself to go to this abbey in Spain, which was inherited by an american family it was what it was in it was in the the american well they look ethnic they look spanish right it's, it's in spain and her husband inherited it from his family it was in his generations or his family and then they decided to go there and but, fix it up a la horror movie style wouldn't the catholic church own the abbey yeah, so, so, so the, the Catholic Church is basically gonna like consecrate it as holy ground. So, so like she's letting them remodel it because she wants to sell it to the Catholic. Ch- it's it's the the house plot is there. It's just just fucking don't, <laughs> don't worry about the plot. Okay. It, it, so they decide to leave their home 
in America to go live in this dilapidated abbey because their father died. Whatever. We go, we have the most off-putting insertion of music featuring the cult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And and Fat Russell Crowe on a Ferrari Vespa. And then also, um, um, the song was just in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It's, um, mm-hmm. we, we uh, care a lot. What's, what's that band? I hate that band. But whatever that band is. Oh, the, 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 uh, epic. No, no, no. The, the yeah. Song epic. What, what's the fucking band thing? Whatever. Continue. I'll look it up. Whatever. So they go to this abbey and they discover there's a hole in a wall, obviously, because there's voices go Faith and, no more. And there's a demon. Faith no more. Uh the I'm, sun film what was it? Faith no more. Faith I'm sure that was ironically oh, yeah. chosen by the, the name of the band. <laughs> Whatever, so fucking dumb. Um so the sun gets taken by a possession. We're introduced to Russell Crowe, where he goes to this house. He does an exorcism with a pig, saying, like, oh, if you're so cool, can you possess this pig? And then they shoot the pig when oh, the demon goes the in demon it. the demon falls to the oldest trick in the oldest book. That's a Bible reference. We're sitting there watching it, and I was I said to my wife, oh, that's stupid. That's in the Bible, because in the Bible, Jesus sends the pig, uh, demon into pigs and over a cliff. I was like, that demon fell for the literal oldest trick in the book. <laughs> for being centuries and millennia old, demons really don't learn anything. Um, so... We're established that Russell Crowe is a badass. Don't doesn't give a fuck. Badass. You, you, you said it wrong. You said badass. You meant badass. Badass. <laughs> that doesn't give a fuck. Um, and he is sent by the Pope to this abbey where a mysterious phrase is, the church has dealt with this place before. Yeah. And I literally looked at my wife and I was like, it was the Inquisition. Hey, you it's in it Spain. It's and it's it's an issue from the past. It's the Inquisition. And she's like, would you stop it? And I was like, it's the Inquisition. I was like, they probably murdered a bunch of people in this fucking church, and now there's a demon there. It turns out to be a whole lot more. I, I was giddy. Whoa, <laughs> I was okay. like, yay! Let's just say this. The first hour is like cookie-cutter, boring horror, and yeah. then the last 30 minutes is bonkers, and it's hilarious. Bat shit. It's tons of fun by the last 30 minutes, but... But yeah, that was fun. I had to explain what the Spanish Inquisition is into my life. It's funny that you and I just like history, and it so happens to work out that we always talk about Catholic history. <laughs> if there's something I can say about myself is I have a vat of useless information stored in my head, but if you ask me to do anything that is helpful in day-to-day life, I am worthless to you. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> yeah. So Fat Russell Crowe goes to the Abbey. He walks in. He encounters the child and is like, oh, yep, that kid's fucking possessed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Fuck this. After that, and he goes, yeah, that's fucked. Um, (laughs) Okay, let's let's talk about this. There's two things I want to say. First thing, why is the demon a silly British demonic voice? He's got a British accent, and it keeps throwing me like, hello there, puppet. (laughs) I'm going to fucking fleece you, sell them. I'm like, Ugh, oh, what the yeah. hell is going on? And secondly, he figures we get introduced to all this shit. He knows the demon, the boy is possessed. Like what, like thirty or forty minutes into the movie. So I turn uh-huh. to my wife and say, "Okay, so now we're doing demon possession thing things forty minutes in. What the fuck's gonna happen for the next hour?" And don't worry, the movie <laughs> said, "Hold my beer." We'll we'll take you all the way there, but but like like they don't waste any time to get you to the full possession of a child doing, 
you know, exorcist fuck me priest shit. Like, it's like if someone just watched like a compilation of The Exorcist and said, "Oh, I can make a movie." Or every exorcist movie ever. Yeah. It is. It is just every little thing. Fuck but, me, Jesus. Fuck me, priest. Oh, you're. Oh, the, the, oh, the priest is is uh, is a whore. Like it's, it's fucking whores. It's it's got everything in there. But it doesn't know how to do it. It's like someone that watched it and went, oh, I could do that. And then they have no idea what they're fucking doing. Because he does the whole, like, hello there, Gabe. I'm going to fuck you, and you're going to like it. And you're going to come as I fuck you. And you're like, okay, this is gross. I'm supposed to be off-put. But, like, play that next to the exorcist scene, and the exorcist scene fucks you up. You go, like, oh, God. But in this, you're just like, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, like, in the exorcist, the big thing, the big reveal is that the demon knows uh uh damien's sins and he basically says like i'm using those against you the movie throws it in there in the first 30 minutes so it has nowhere to go besides <laughs> yeah all the way to hell literally so like the the climax of better exorcist movies is the first half of this movie it's just like where the fuck are you gonna go now and it's like <laughs> wait <laughs> Okay, I'll just get through this and then we can go piece by piece why this movie is mm-hmm. dog shit, but somehow entertaining dog shit. Yeah. Um, so Russell Crowe goes, yeah, that kid's fucked. Um, and they start doing some exorcism. It doesn't really work. The demon's ultra powerful, but not Satan because that's just too much. It's the next in line to Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, but that's the whole like exorcist thing. Remember the original exorcist? He yeah. says... Oh, that's why I think the demon's not real because she says I'm literally Satan himself, and and like that's not a thing that people believe. So that's it takes it from better movies. <laughs> yeah, but so Russell Crowe uncovers the Spanish Inquisition was here, but somehow the Spanish Inquisition is not really painted in a bad light. It was just a oopsie. Oh no, it's worse um, than that. Uh, so the. Demon, who we find out's name is Osmodius. Amodium? Amodium, um, <laughs> yeah. Amodium nitrate. Um, <laughs> so, Osmodius had possessed a friar who then possessed the top exorcist in the Catholic Church, who then went back and convinced the Queen of Spain to initiate the inquisition so the inquisition was actually satan's work and not the catholic church we're all absolved of our sins now catholic church that's um everything wrong with the catholic church is they're trying to do a a reverse history yeah oh it was satan he possessed a priest we're sorry but it wasn't really our fault it was satan um same thing with with all those little boys that was satan (laughs) it was a lot of Satan. and then in the dumbest twist ever osmodius is back again to to possess the priest's ex- the Pope's exorcist in 1987 when the church has zero power and he wants to reinstitute the inquisitions and do evil upon the world. I don't know if this demon knows it's 1987 where <laughs> secular governments and atheist governments run the world. So how the fuck is the Catholic Church going to do anything? The Catholic Church is still one of the most powerful like conglomerates of people. I, I, I get it. It's ridiculous. It's not 700 years ago, but they still have a lot of goddamn pull to hide all these uh, things and get people moved around. So trust me, they, they can do some fucking evil. So then we find out, Russell Crowe finds out what it is. It's Osmodius. He's attacked the church before. It's and Moses Jones. He's back again. 
Yeah. So, but then he finds out Osmodius has the power to possess more than one person at the same time. Um, he doesn't do anything with that. He just can. <laughs> well, that's the thing um, is, like, they have this whole family dynamic that's forgotten, and they go, oh, by the way, since you have a bunch of kids, we can make them possess and make them bite shit. Like, it's it's, it's uh, all second nature, because they just wanted to get us down and to the point where Russell Crowe's possessed by a demon. Keep going. So Russell Crowe teams up with a pedophile priest, and uh, they they use Osmodius's name, but Osmodius is too powerful until he's not. Um, but he's too powerful, and he strikes a deal saying, if you let me possess you, Russell Crowe, I will leave the family alone. And so Russell Crowe gives himself up, and the demon goes in him. But Russell Crowe's too fat and powerful, <laughs> and the demon can't take full control, so the family gets away, and Russell Crowe goes down to the demon crypt that was built somehow for some reason. Um, <laughs> yeah, th- three miles down in the Earth's crust, and he goes, really yeah. going into hell. And Russell Crowe can't be tamed, so Osmodius <laughs> is is burned alive and sent to hell Van Helsing style. And then and then it's not over. Osmodius is vanquished. And then Russell Crowe finds out that Osmodius was planning to raise every demon that was cast from hell or heaven to rule the world. And so now him and pedophile priest are going to go around, tasked by the Catholic Church in their Q lab from James Bond. And they task him with going to every site where a demon was buried and to vanquish each demon. And he goes, sounds like a team up. And, <laughs> and they sequel bait. And then insert disturbed music. Yeah. And Russell Crowe now with his partner is going to go and vanquish every demon that's buried on Earth. The end. Fuck yeah. Wow. Yeah, so... Th- and somehow I was vaguely entertained. Like, I wasn't off-put by this movie. It was stupid, it was dumb, but it was just competent enough mm-hmm. to to watch it. Yeah, it, the first hour is, like, generic horror, but it's... I'm going to give Russell Crowe this. He gives it his all. Russell he Crow, tried his ass off. His his accent is is terrible. It's it's like watching the 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 Gucci the House of Gucci movie where like where like the the director mm-hmm. did not care about the accents at all. But Russell Crowe hams it up, plays it serious. He actually tries like crying at some point. He's sweating like crazy. So you can't tell if it's tears or sweat. But <laughs> so hot. But, but for a shit movie, I'm sure they paid him a lot of money, and he gives it his all. The other actors are terrible, but Russell Crowe shines <laughs> like like, like the, the diamond he elevates the turret, this film. <laughs> but I don't think Shane fully captures how crazy this is. In the last thirty minutes, I wrote down all of these things that happen. We get like these deep catacombs. We get a demon starting the Spanish Inquisition. We get Pope vomiting blood on another uh, cardinal. Oh, we have yep. a demon army being raised from hell. We have horse tranquilizers stabbed into the neck of a child. We have an Ozzy Osbourne-esque chewing off the head of a cardinal, got it, symbolism. You've got yeah. um, sexual, they mentioned the sexual abuse of the church. Oh, yep, Catholic he, sexual abuse is he, mentioned. He throws it in there in one line saying, oh, it must be the reasons why all these terrible abuses are coming out. I knew about it. And then It he, was Satan, not our fault. <laughs> you have a literal demon takes a bathroom sink 
and crushes a child with it and doesn't die. No, sorry, the, yep. the, the demon child takes the mom. The, 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 hits the mom in the bathroom sink. You have bloody crucifixes bleeding out blood that attack a priest. You have priest suicide attempt. You have yep. Russell Crowe sitting on a demon throne. You have Hellboy symbols everywhere going off. And you have exploding blood titties. And finally, you end with demon lava. Like it There has, are titties in this film. You have everything nice you titties. want in the last 30 minutes. Like This movie does not like shy away and goes full like goes full uh traffic thunder by the end it's just like 100 percent. it goes for it it is not afraid i have a suspicion that when they originally wrote it they wanted an action film like a van helsing kind of action film mm-hmm. but russell crowe was the star they got and he's like i'm, I'm not doing action no <laughs> i think this is the movie they wanted because so do you know who father amarth is in real life I'm sure that the tale is a lot less whelming. Okay. So Father Amorth is, was the, uh, the literal highest-ranked priest in the Catholic, exorcist in the Catholic Church. That's where uh, William Peter Blatty, who wrote the exorcist novel, got it from. His like diaries, the things, the real things that Father Amorth did, like the sayings and stuff. It's all real Catholic dogma. I say real Catholic dogma, knowing the, the whole oxymoron behind it. So it's based on <laughs> his real things. So... He was an exorcist, and the beginning is pretty real, where it's like he was a psychologist who, not a psychologist, but he like was well-versed in the reality of exorcisms right. aren't really real. They're not a thing that we do. They're just something that was in the past that we have hidden because you don't bring them back. And ironically, the movie The Exorcist is what brought that back into the light. So so Father Amorth like, basically was a real priest. And then at the end of his life, he became an absolute nutter, and they made a documentary <laughs> directed by William Freakin, the director of The Exorcist, where he tries to, quote-unquote, record a real exorcism that Amort did before he died, and it's all trashy documentary shit. But, like, he's a real person that they said, They made a movie with, uh, uh, fucking what's his name? Uh, Hannibal Lecter. Uh, oh, uh, the Anthony Hopkins, the right. Isn't the, is the right yep. made up him, too? Okay. So, yeah. That's so, his last exorcism. Yeah, so so th- these are all based on quote unquote real cases, but like it's a real Catholic dogma thing, and I love how they take this. And the end of this movie has the audacity to say Father Amort conducted the most exorcisms oh, in ever history, just like this. <laughs> oh yeah, and he goes and he wrote his books, and then he goes the books were good. <laughs> well, that's the reference to the movie when uh, when Russell Crowe says the books are good. Uh. <laughs> oh my god. The pizza ra, 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 with, with the, the spaghetti on the Ferrari. <laughs> I love that they, that they do a full Jurassic Park where Russell Crowe is tying a um, a rope around a, a thing in the rain. He's trying to pull it while terrible things are happening around him. It's like the Dennis Nedry thing and also in Lost World with the T-Rexes. I'm like, oh, they do a Jurassic Park thing that <laughs> made me giggle. Seeing fat Russell Crowe on a Vespa is the funniest thing in the world. He's so fat. <laughs> and he's His the best sausage part of the fingers. Yeah, the he is a gem in this. Yeah, but... Because he's almost self-aware. Like, yes. It, 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 His character is, though. Yeah. He's His... definitely the best part. His character is goofy. He like He flirts with nuns. He's he's oh, like yeah. he's, he's nice cool, with cool. kids. He's cutesy. He, like they make him actually a full fledged like goofball character. And then he also he fucks with the demons, which I got mad about this because I'm like, if you're gonna keep saying he's the most prideful 
priest out there. Well, then play into it. Then actually yeah. play into it, which they don't. But he's he's like fucking the demons, going, "Oh, what's tell me my name if you don't know who I am. Tell me my name." It's, it's yeah. so ridiculous, but it's it's for what this is. I was never mad. I was laughing uncontrollably at yeah. points, but I was never mad and frustrated. It was fun. I had fun. I don't think the movie meant for me to have fun, but I had a lot of fun. I think I I think it's self-aware to know it's ridiculous, but I think that's what people kind of want sometimes. They want something trashy like like can you imagine if they took this seriously and Russell Crowe with his goofy accent and a big old belly on the Vespa and him like can you imagine this is a serious film with Russell Crowe like it would be god just, awful and boring. I think it didn't go enough. I think it should have gone full Constantine. Do you want me to go back and read the the things that happen again? (laughs) I wanted fucking machine guns with (laughs) crucifixes put into the bullets. I wanted fucking, you know, I I don't know. But I I got that. And and let's just... Okay. (laughs) So, Russell... Okay. So the priest chokes a child, mm-hmm. the pedophile priest, because he's like, I know you are, you are sniffing panties. He's like, you shut the fuck up. <laughs> and, and like, I thought they were going to play that he was a pedophile, but of course they don't because that's, yeah, that'd be too much. You can't make but, a hero a pedophile, Shane. Stop trying to do that. <laughs> I know it's in your, uh, in your script, but stop trying to do it. So the priest was having sex with someone and he told her fuck off because he's going to still be a priest. Yeah. Very Catholic of him. Yeah. Absolutely I thought him. with Russell Crowe, they went too light on his guilt. Like, if you're going to play that your main character has guilt from the war, it can't be that he was being too good of a person. You know what I mean? Like, I know. His guilt is that he didn't take her seriously and then she killed herself. It, it was so light that it kept him still so heroic. And you're like, oh, so our hero's guilty for being a hero? You know, that's like he wasn't heroic enough. It's because the writers saw The Exorcist and they had to put something in about guilt and pride. And they just, okay, this movie is trash. It's terrible. It has 10 million things rubbed into it and it doesn't work, but it's fucking entertaining by the end. If you have the sense of humor of this shit gets batshit and it's silly. And I think Russell Crowe just doing his all to ham it up keeps you entertained because imagine if it's some boring ass actor this movie wouldn't mm. work but russell crowe being who not russell crowe is are you not entertained god damn it like this <laughs> i is am so entertained exactly and it, and, it, and it works in that way and i watched a stone sober 100 oh. percent sober. <laughs> so i enjoyed this sober and was laughing so like this isn't just like me being like yeah. shit face in stone this was like legitimately thing and i think it has my favorite line of all 2023 bring me the pig <laughs> I don't fuck my pig. Yeah, I don't. I don't fuck. I don't fuck my pig. Come here, little piggy, piggy, and they keep bringing it back. And I love it that the, the demon yep. calls him Gabe and calls him Piggy, piggy. He calls him fat. <laughs> he knows. He knows yeah. little crow's fat. <laughs> He's like you little servant. <laughs> um, I uh, I think what they should have done with his guilt was when they referenced Rosaria. I thought they were gonna be like, I was like, oh shit, he had sex with a demon, like. I thought like he was he got seduced by someone that was possessed and then, you know, I was like that's pretty dark. That would be some guilt that you would carry on and be fucking hard and never actually 
absolve, you know? That would be... That but would kind of they went the, really light. Well, that would fit the, the whole thing of it, too. But the weird thing is she wasn't possessed. She was just suicidal, and he ignored yeah. her. And I'm like, well, now I'm confused, because if you're a, a jack-of-all-trades, and you would know, I'm not a psychologist. You need to get her help, not... I need to sit down with her and talk about her feelings and things. Like, like, like... It's underdeveloped because this movie's shit. This movie's awful, no. goddammit, but I would recommend yeah. it to anyone who wants something that's silly. Like it I is... would argue, if you're like us, it's worth the $5 that I spent to rent it. Oh, yeah. I thought it was going to be 20 I was like, goddammit, if it was 5 my oh, five, yep. six bucks, take my money, Amazon. I don't Take mind. my money, was... Russell Crowe. It is, and it's short <laughs> enough. It's an hour and 40, and it, it the middle kind of lulls because it hits all the cliches, and then... And and they're going in the catacombs. It gets really boring. Of like, what is behind this this gate? Oh, it must be bad thing. Open up gate. And I'm like, oh my god, damn it! What's wrong with you, you moron? It. I kind of enjoy it. I enjoy the Osmodius. I enjoy that he infected or you know you know took over the friar and it led. To, it's so ridiculous, but like, that was fun to me in a way. Yeah. Because it's if you're gonna do this movie, yeah, fucking take it to eleven, baby. Let's go. <laughs> and it does and it, it it it's it's not slow but it just has all the cliches for an hour and then it it makes you earn the silliness it ramps up to and i i'm a fan like yeah it's fan. like you couldn't make this as awesome as it is if you were trying it has to be inadvertent it has to be incompetence no, no, but I think to they make wanted it truly to make, perfect. I think they wanted to make this silly movie and like it takes itself enough seriously, but also not too seriously enough. So I think that I think a lot of the humor does come from it being so ridiculous, but I, th- I think they made the movie they wanted to make. I think this is what they wanted. I think they wanted like a, a movie that you'd go to the theater and like laugh and cheer for almost. <laughs> um, yeah. I kind of wish they would have gone a little more like more towards Constantine Sure, but but then it might have not been as charming. Um, but I uh, I surprisingly had fun with the Pope's Exorcist. It is a shitter movie, but I left with a smile. Thank you, Fat Russell Crowe. So what Shane is saying is he enjoyed ex- the Pope's Exorcist more than Poltergeist, ladies and gentlemen. I did. I'm just gonna. <laughs> <laughs> and I review movies. <laughs> for for different reasons they're entertaining in different levels okay. oh yeah i think i think our next genre we should probably get into is should be horror comedy maybe because for sure this made me just laugh and i wrote down a couple horror comedies i like so that might be our our episode four but um um shane update on the script shane and i are working on act one right now so we're actively doing this keeping it going here and um, gonna keep making, watching some more movies and talking about it. So I think that's I'll really have an update on the script. We're moving a little slow here. I've been busy. God damn it. Yeah, we'll get some momentum on it, um, and then we'll go. But like, yeah. we're we're actually keeping up pretty well on our pace and releases and stuff. Now that I can edit too. Ah, uh, surprise! Look at you, big boy. Figure now that I'm the editor in chief. Yeah, exactly. this podcast is really gonna go to the moon. Fine with me. I don't, I'm tired of doing this shit. But um, speaking of scripts, Shane and I, as usual for their episodes, have each crafted a beautiful script for each other to make the other one read without seeing it first. Who's got to go first? I put mine in the chat already so you can open Okay, that let's first. do yours first. Okay. The um, roommate. Let's see. Who You're going to be Rick. 
Okay, I'll be the narration, okay. and I'll be Katie. You be Sheila and Rick. Okay. All right. Let me. Um. Oh, we're in Australia. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking that uh, Sheila and Rick were Australian-born because my accents are shit. But I'll try my Aussie accent for Katie. Okay. <laughs> the scene opens on the inside of a large, beautiful apartment in downtown Sydney, Australia. The camera focuses on the door, and as the lock unlocks, the doorknob turns, and two women walk in, talking jovially. Like I said, you never mix business with pleasure, but... But? You're no longer my client since you closed up the lease deal, so... Getting closer. So? Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No commentary. (laughs) Sheila and Katie kiss. Wow. Your apartment is amazing. The camera pans wait, around. Wait, wait, we didn't read all the inner. Yeah. I did. The camera. Yeah, go. The camera pans around to the spacious, well furnished apartment. There's a beautiful window overlooking the ocean, and there is a vibrant nightlife surrounding. As Katie looks out the view, Sheila approaches her from behind and nuzzles her. There's a great view in my room, in bedroom, too. <laughs> <laughs> Sheila takes Katie's hand, and they begin to walk through the apartment. They pass the beautiful kitchen, an open door to the bathroom, then a closed door. Katie's stopping. What's in that room? Ominous music begins. Ooh, it's just me roommate's bedroom. They're sleeping right now, so quietly continue our journey into my room. Sheila does a cute little dance to entice Katie. No one could resist such a sexy dance. They continue to the bathroom, sorry, bedroom, (laughs) and commence some heavy kissing and petting. Middle school shit. This is hot. (laughs) A noise is heard from outside Sheila's door. Katie looks up from her passionate locking of lips. What was that? My roommate most likely, but they probably don't know we're in here, so we should be good. Wait, are you and your roommate like a couple? No. Nothing like that. They're just very intrusive sometimes. You locked the door, right? Scratching her head nervously. Yeah, but they're a bit noisy. We should be good. Nosy. Yeah, they're nosy. They're not noisy. (laughs) (laughs) Sheila resumes kissing, and Kitty goes back to being in the mood and thinking with her snatch. Enter Rick. Oi, you're like getting it down there, aren't you? I don't know why he's Irish. (laughs) (laughs) Kitty screams. Calm down, Sheila. No reason to freak out. Is this your first threesome? <laughs> oh, fuck off, Rick. <laughs> you may live here too, but it doesn't entitle you to pop in and whatever. Wait, is he a... He's a ghost. I prefer a transparent person. Let's not be a twat. <laughs> fuck off, Rick. You're being a ghost cunt. <laughs> Language lady, so are we doing this? Doing what? We have a deal. I pay the rent, she brings in the dates. What what do you say, miss? Katie thinks about it. Well, I am a cryptozoologist, Major. Perfect. (laughs) And scene. (laughs) That has to be the shittiest set of accents I've ever done. (laughs) And I've done some pretty shitty accents. Too many Aussies. Ah, <laughs> oh, one of the harder ones. 
I don't know. Russell okay. Crowe inspired me to do Australian, so I was like, I'm gonna write an Australian Dude, script. It's a theme. Just saying. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Open up mine. So you there's only two characters. There's Oh, um, it's further up in the chat above oh. my second. Go- it's stupid horror. Oh, perfect. Okay. Oh, okay. cool. Hold up. The link will take you to... Yeah, I don't care. Fuck. So, real quick. You, Ronnie, are playing Father Xander. Muscular exorcist. You wear a trench coat, glasses, you have tribal tattoos, and you drive a black muscle car. Fuck yeah. People don't like the way you do your exorcisms, but God damn it, do you get results? Fine. You talk in a deep voice like Vin Diesel. Perfect. Okay, I will play the Pope and sexy mother and <laughs> demon. I think I could handle those. Is that good? No, All right, here we go. Deeper. Oh, I think I could handle those. No, that sounds sounds like I'm no, no, no. Like like you're cool, like John Wick. Okay. I'll talk gritty. Like yeah, this. perfect. <laughs> Got it. Okay, sorry. Had to get in character. All right. Scene open steep in the Vatican. The Pope stands in front of a Jesus on the cross. Outside, a black muscle car screeches to a halt. Flames firing from the exhaust. The door swings open, and a muscular bound man, Father Xander, walks in. Father Xander, jacked, wearing sunglasses indoors, with his tribal tattoos showing on his neck. He is Van Diesel. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. It destroyed $60 million on a priceless artifacts that took the virginity of three virgins, Xander. That's what virgins are. They have their virginity intact. And the things I do are sometimes for holiness. By God, you get the results, though. Your sins are absolved. But please, try to be a better Catholic. But then, what's your job? There's a demon, Xander, in a dark place. Oh. We have sent many before you, and they have all perished or failed. You are our last hope. I gotta stop improvising. What does the job pay? One million schmeckles. Woo, that's a lot of schmeckles. That'll buy a pretty spot in heaven. The Lord does not ask for tithing to feed the poor, Xander. You think this dope house was a gift? Merchandising, Xander. Why are you Mel Brooks? <laughs> Where am I going? To the darkest place on earth, Xander. Cleveland, Ohio. Camera dramatically zooms in on Xander. My God. Xander turns dramatically. And Xander. Yeah? Kicks some ass. Xander pulls out two machine guns and begins firing them into the air. <laughs> Then he gets in his car where two bikini-clad women are sitting and an altar boy as well. The black muscle car feels out. It has on the bumper sticker, it says, seven minutes in heaven. (laughs) Xander walks into the house in the hellhole known as Cleveland, Ohio. There, a sexy lady in a crop top and Daisy Dukes answers the door. Oh my god, thank god you're here. Where is the demon? It's upstairs. No one can defeat it. I'm not no one. I'm the one. Wink. Yeah, he winks at the sexy mom, and then she faints. (laughs) Xander kicks in the door of the room. 
In this room is your classic demonic possession scene set up with a little boy tied to the bed. <laughs> Father Zander, been expecting you. <laughs> Give me your name. Zander, you of all people I thought would be game for some foreplay. Why are you here? I have a secret about your church. It'll crumble the very foundations. And once the church's been humiliated and ridiculed, I'll be able to rule the world. You know what year it is? No one cares about the church. Atheists and secular governments run the world. The church is basically a way for people to feel they have some moral compass and to get some sweet, sweet tax-free ass. You mean Kish? I said what I said. (laughs) Oh, well, I know what you priests do in the dark. We already came out about the kids. Ooh. Well, uh... Many of your priests aren't so pious. We know about the homosexual priests. We're all woke now. Except for the, the, the other things. <laughs> oh. Well, it sounds like this place is truly a hellhole. Guess I'll go back now. Give me a name. Tell me your name. So I know who to send the flowers to. <laughs> oh, my name? It's Bill. Not William. Not like the nickname. Just Bill. Keep it simple, you know. Well, I guess I'll leave. Xander pulls out machine guns and begins blasting the child with all his ammo. Behind the smoke leaving from the barrels, Xander whispers, Amen. (laughs) The mom comes into the room. What have you done? The demon gave me no choice. He pulled a gun first. (laughs) I don't see a gun. Xander walks over and puts a gun in the bullet-ridden child's hand. Oh, I guess you had no choice. States' rights shall not be infringed. Yay, America! Now, I command you to take off your shirt and use the Lord's name in vain all night long. Oh, Xander! Oh, God! Rock music begins playing. Flames explode onto the screen as credits end. The end. Beautiful. I was wondering if the boy was there for aesthetic purposes or if Xander's uh, playing the wrong tribe. <laughs> Xander doesn't give a fuck. A hole's a holiness. <laughs> Enter the holy of holies. Thank you all for sticking around and listening to this nonsense. We appreciate it. Please subscribe to us on Instagram, on uh, Twitter, YouTube. Email us at podcastwithpotential at gmail.com. Shane, take us out of here. The things I'm gonna do for my country. <laughs> yeah, kick his ass, Russell Crowe. Then just end it with, "Are you not entertained?" <laughs> Perfect. Oh god. Okay, I didn't see that part originally. He's like, "What the fuck was that?" I was like, "What?" And she goes, "Turn it back." <laughs> he cuckoos at at nuns. I know. He's he horny. pinches nuns' asses. Going for them hooters. Oh, what a stupid movie. And... Bye. Cut. Let's do it. Let's fuck this pig. Let's shoot this pig right in its fucking face. Yeah.
corner. Get into the pig. I won't do it. <laughs> so I can eat the bacon. <laughs> like how you're doing like an Australian doing an Italian accent. It's perfect. It's almost like I watched a fat Australian pretend he was Italian. Oh my god, we're there early. Let's do it. Bring in the whores. <laughs> who's who's doing this? You, you're, you did the last one, so keep it going. Oh, okay. <laughs> 